it's this sense of being in a place that has been there for so long that is so full of history, so full of incredible experiences for hundreds of years of, and, and families. It's very palpable, that sense that you are in a space that has a history. And it's a timeless experience. It's an experience where um, you don't feel like you are in the 21st century. There were people sort of called it like this enchanted place because there were couples who were on the verge of getting divorced. They'd come for a week and they'd somehow make things work. And, and at the end, they'd be like, oh my gosh, our, we're, we're not going to get divorced. Or, oh my God, we've, we've worked all those things out. There's something um, it's really lovely about going to a house and you're all in it together. It's sort of, uh, it, it, and, and there's not a lot of negative energy. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. In the age of the pandemic, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't fantasized about moving to a bigger home. For some, that meant moving out of the city to find somewhere with a backyard, an extra room or two, or just a place to find some peace and quiet. But some people like to think big and grand. Of all the real estate fantasies out there, one in particular remains the gold standard for living large, the French Chateau. Buying such a coveted home is about trading up, way up, but for others, it's about transforming these homes into thriving businesses. On that note, I'm so excited today to speak with Anna and Philip of the popular and oh-so-charming YouTube channel, How to Renovate a Chateau. The couple left their life behind in Paris, she's a fashion designer and he's a noted filmmaker, to open Le Fleur, a bed and breakfast in Normandy. More on them later. But first up is one of the leading interior designers in the United States, Timothy Corrigan. Known for his grand but comfortable style, Timothy has been a fixture in the design scene for decades. The former advertising executive is now based in Los Angeles and has owned and renovated many chateaux in his career. I spoke with the always friendly Timothy from his home office in California about the highs, lows, and nitty-gritty details of what it takes to have your very own Petit Versailles. And uh, how did you wind up buying your first chateau? Because I, uh, from what I read, it was kind of an adventure. Well, you know, I, 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 uh, I am. I sort of think of myself almost as a as, as a chateau holic. I am. Uh, I love chateau. I've owned four chateau, um, and it started off um, with a, a 17th century manor house. When I first was living in in Paris, after a couple of years living there, I wanted a place in the country, so um, I bought an old. Um, wreck of a 17th century manor house and, and restored that. And uh, that's really where I got my first taste for this aspect of um, owning a part of history. Uh, because when you buy one of these old houses, um, you're really nothing more than the guardian uh, of it for a period of time. And then that's what you become very aware of is that um, uh, while you may be owning this, it's a blink of an eye in the life of that of that of that structure, and so you're really. Um, I think it's incumbent upon you to uh, to learn about the history of that place, learn about how it worked in the past, and then I think today to figure out how to make it viable going forward. Because these structures were built uh, 
when people lived very differently. Um, oftentimes these structures were the, the center of a whole community and everything was centered around it um, in terms of all the, the, the businesses and everything else. Well, you, they don't function that way anymore. All the lands around it are not owned by the chateau and they're not the farms that you know that provide all the food for the for the chateau etc so you really have to understand the history and the context of that chateau but then also say all right how am i going to make it viable for today because it's not it's not it doesn't serve the same purpose in the community and how do you make it viable uh both as a place uh as a as something that that you can afford to run but also viable in terms of the way it's structured. So many of these these structures, um, they were built for a different way of life. So in most chateau, the, at least older chateau, the kitchen was in a whole different building of the chateau because of fear of fire. Um, when I bought uh, my third chateau, which was a, a, a major national landmark, um, I actually had to convince the authorities to let me put a kitchen into the chateau itself. They were like, well, no, it needs to be in the separate building where it always was. And I sort of had to say to, you know, sort of say to them, well, you know, we Americans were, were kind of quirky, but we actually like to have the kitchen in the same building as, as, as they were living. Um, and, and, you know, then they said, well, great, there's this basement you can put it in. And, and I sort of had to convince them, no, I would be able to figure out how to put it on the ground floor in a room that was completely listed. All the, the paneling was, 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 uh, you know, monument, um, historically mon monument listed. And we actually had to come up with a system where we put steel beams in front of the, of the paneling and then hung the kitchen cabinets on those beams, uh, had vents in it into the backs of the cabinets so that the paneling behind it continued to stay, uh, stay healthy and live. Um, but, you know, there are ways that you can do it um, that will not, will not destroy or hurt the, the, the listed aspect of the chateau. And tell me a little bit about that that sort of listed aspect. I know I I know designers in, in the UK who speak. They have a, a grading system for properties of what it's listed at, and and what that determines what you can do and what you can't do, and what permissions you need. And it's quite a big challenge. It's nothing we really have here, unless you're unless you're literally living in um, Monticello or right. something like yeah, that. Exactly. Um, you know. Uh, what is that like, you know, for the uninitiated? What is that it, in France specifically? It, it, it absolutely varies from property to property. You may have a, a property where only the uh, front facade is listed, or you, you could have it as small as, gee, the staircase is listed, or a painting or a, a fire mantle in a room. It could be as limited as that. As this is the listed item in this. It can go from that um, all the way up through in my third chateau, the views were listed. So you could not know, the city could not build something. No one could build something in the, you could see from the chateau that obstructed the view. So it, it all depends. Uh, on that chateau, the trees were listed. So I took down some trees that had been added maybe relatively recently during the, during, it had been owned by the French government, the chateau. Uh, I took down some trees and was putting up different trees. Well, someone in the village saw that I was took down some trees, denounced me sort of as you would in the French Revolution. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the gendarmes arrived and they shut down the entire construction site. Uh, and I, as a punishment, I actually had to do 
a complete inventory of every tree and bush that was on a close to a hundred acre property. Uh, and, uh, and then each one got a little number and a little red, a little tag, et cetera. Uh, so that I would sort of, it was sort of my punishment so that I would know how important every tree was. Uh, but then the interesting thing is when I said, great, well, I was always planning to put back these trees, but just a different kind of tree. They said, great, here's a list of the trees that you can, you can plant. So I said, fine, I'll plant this tree. And they said, oh, you can't plant that tree. And I said, but it's on your list. It was in France in 1760 when this chateau was built. And they said, yes, but that kind of tree would have been at a manor house, not at a chateau. So it's just like, okay, got it. So it's just like, you know, it's, they, they, they can be incredibly difficult. Um, I, I had to have paint colors uh, on the ground floor approved by the French authorities for the, for the interior rooms. Um, uh, and uh, all sorts of details like that, which they had, they had to approve. Um, and while at the time it was a great, um, it was a great ordeal, and and I thought this is just crazy. Looking back, I actually understand the importance of doing having these kinds of restrictions, um, because it is why it, no other country in the world has this incredible rich heritage of these incredible buildings from you know 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th century, um, and uh, and they do understand the importance of maintaining the integrity and the history of these. Um, I do think they're going to have to. Um, uh, they do need to move forward. They do need to um, uh, look at technology and, and how technology advances and changes. Interestingly, I think uh, everyone's aware of the, the the burning of Notre Dame. Well, when they came to rebuild uh, the, the roof structure at Notre Dame, they had the choice of either going back and using the, uh, the, the, the oak trees that would have been originally of that structure or using super lightweight t- titanium, which would have never caught fire again. Um, you would have never seen it uh, it would because it would have been covered with other things. They chose to, the French government chose to go back and rebuild it with oak. I, I think that was a mistake, honestly. I think that there are ways where you, you can, um, uh, you can, advance with the times and with technology, especially if it's in a way that is in no way visible um, to the, uh, for the structure. Uh, I had such things as well, I was, when I was replacing windows, uh, windows and doors uh, at a chateau, where uh, it, it turned out that the mullions were an eighth of an inch off. They were the same exact profile, but they were an eighth of an inch larger than the original mullions. They would not let me put any of those windows and doors in. That was close to $100,000 of windows and doors that I was not able to put in because they were an eighth of an inch too large. So I think there are things I do understand the, um, the, the importance of these kinds of restrictions. I also think they can take it too far sometimes. And, you know, you mentioned you brought up a good point um, about the difference between a manor house and a chateau. And so you must know or be the best translator of this for my audience. Um, what defines a chateau and how is it different from, say, a French manor house? Well, it's interesting because um, historically it was based on one's um, ranking in, in society, wh- whether you were a nobleman or not. Um, and so a, a chateau can be, people think of a chateau as being enormous. It can be as small as four or 5,000 square feet, but it, um, it was 
it was built by a nobleman back up until the 19th century. The 19th century is really when things changed in France. It's actually when you saw um, the biggest uh, amount of construction of chateaus in the history of France. And it's because it no longer, uh, with the industrial age, with with the age of commercialization, et cetera, um, the bourgeoisie actually started building these big buildings, which became known as chateaus. And so the classification um, got watered down. So uh, it was no longer a nobleman's house. It could have just been anyone who had a lot of money and wanted to build a big, a big, big house that became called a chateau. Ah, I see. And then what would a manor house be? A manor house would have been a, uh, it, it, as I come back to, it may have been larger than a chateau back in the old, earlier days, but it was not owned by a nobleman. So ah, it was okay. it was oh, it was owned by uh, perhaps like the the younger brother of the lord or whatever, but he didn't have the title. <laughs> okay, got it. Um, and so you've had how many? You've you've had four chateaus that you've owned personally. Four chateaus um, that that I've that I've owned, and um, uh, and, and I think I'm probably on my last one. I think I've got <laughs> I think I've got it out of my system. Um, we're, we're we're doing a number of them right now for some clients as well. So that gives me a great opportunity to do it and and get it out of my system that way. Before we return to Timothy, a word from our sponsor, Janice AC. In the world of design, an appreciation of the outdoors is more important in our lives than ever before. Enter Janus AC. As a leader in outdoor furniture for more than 40 years, the brand combines unparalleled levels of craft and engineering to create works by the world's best designers and architects, from Andre Fu and Gabellini Shepard to Piero Lissoni. But beyond the incredible products and designs, Janus AC provides a level of service and expertise that's always best in class. As any design aficionado will tell you, some designs become icons, not just for their originality, but for their versatility and eternal elegance. The Amari Collection is one of those lines that will be found in the gardens and terraces of the finest homes for generations to come. Created by the founder of the company, Janice Feldman, the Amari Collection is instantly recognizable. Sculptural and curvaceous, each piece, from two-seaters and armchairs to ottomans and a minimalistic chaise lounge, is a work of art that reminds me of the classic mid-century designs still fawned over today. Using the brand's legendary engineering know-how, the Amari designs are made in a lightweight aluminum frame covered in the brand's signature woven Janus coat that's available in various finishes from caramel to bamboo green. It's one collection that this grand tourist would be proud to entertain on, indoors and out. To acquire your own piece of this designer favorite collection, make an appointment at your local Janus AC showroom or visit JanusAC.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-E-T-C-I-E.com. So when it comes to finding a chateau, are they difficult to find? From what I've heard, they're kind of easy to find, but the maintenance and renovations are the truly expensive propositions. Is that true? It is. Um, the, the actual process is very easy. There, there are at one point, I think there, there was an article in the, in the, the Figaro, the French newspaper, that said something like that there were, at that point, there was something like 2,000 chateaux on the market in France. Um, oh, wow. So there are a lot of, of chateaux. Uh, the challenge is to find good chateau, first of all. Um, oh, really? Uh, so many of them, you look at them and they're just beautiful from the outside and you go in the inside and uh, it just wasn't 
it, it wasn't built that well, or it was it's been maintained so badly over the centuries that you're you're starting from scratch, um, uh, or the chateau may look great in the pictures, but you get there and you realize that it's right next to the 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 auto route or the uh, or the train lines mm-hmm. or whatever. So um, there are a lot of you know you have to you have to kiss a lot of, of frogs before you find that 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 perfect chateau. <laughs> Having said that, the cost is not the issue. The cost of purchase is not the issue. Um, you can buy a chateau as little as probably six or seven hundred thousand um, euros, uh, up to, you know, there. I know of one that just sold for thirty million euros. Um, so they, uh, it's not so much the cost of entry; it's the cost of maintenance of renovation and the cost of maintenance. So the renovation cost you usually have to figure. Um, at least, at least the cost of purchase, um, or up to two to up to two to three times the cost of purchase for renovation, uh, because wow. the the interesting thing is there was a there was a, a French real estate a hotelier who did this analysis and he said, my gosh, the cost per square foot of a chateau is the least expensive structure in all of France in terms of buying, uh, but again, it it the the cost of of renovating. A building that has six foot thick stone walls is much more challenging than renovating, a, you know, a structure that has uh, has drywall and, and you know wood and drywall between it. Um, so it's 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 much more expensive. It's also much more of a challenge because you can't just say I'm going to put a bathroom here. You actually have mm-hmm. to really be very conscious of where the plumbing lines go and how it you know how how it's what the structure of the building is. And then you need know, to say, and then I just want to come back to another question you said, and then there's the issue of maintenance. Uh, maintenance is extremely expensive. Um, my last chateau, I had five, five full-time gardeners uh, all year round. And then in the summer, I had to add two gardeners. Uh, you had to have internal staff of three. And that's if no one is there. That's if that's just to keep it running when there's no one, you know, when there's no one there. If you start to bring friends and things like that, you actually have to add people just because it's not it's not like a weekend house where you just close the doors and, you know, you'll come back next, you know, in, in a month and, and open it up again. Uh, it's, it's not Martha's Vineyard. Exactly. It's and, and, and the interesting thing is that uh, that a garden is actually the garden can be if you've got significant gardens it's much more expensive to maintain the gardens than it is the interiors and tell me a little about the chateau that you own now that you've been renovating uh largely remotely um during the pandemic uh how is that going and uh where is it and give me the lowdown so as uh, as i mentioned i i looked at over a hundred different chateaux um for this last one, I looked, I sort of said I, I wanted to have be within a two hour, uh, two and a half hour perimeter of, of Paris so that I could easily get in and out um, on the week from the weekends. Um, and uh, so I looked at all these chateaus. I saw the chateau, uh, as I said, it was probably it was probably my 103rd or something chateau. Uh, and I just fell in love with it. And I think that there's an expression in France called coup de coeur, which means it's like a cut to the heart. And that's what this chateau was. I just just saw it. It had uh, just incredible, uh, incredible architectural details. The, it, it's a relatively small chateau. It's around um, 
18,000 square feet. Um, okay. uh, uh, my last one was 45,000. So this was a big, okay. big yes. shift down. Um, You're downsizing. Yes, I am. My old age. Uh, but the interesting thing is it, it has the, it has the paneling, uh, the floors the, that you would expect to find in a, in a Royal Chateau. The, the, the quality of the construction was so I- extraordinary. Uh, that it, I just fell in love with with so many of the rooms in the chateau. It also had these incredible gardens that had been designed by uh, the uh, French landscape architect uh, named Edouard André. André designed the Tuileries Gardens in Paris, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he designed a number of other of the famous parks in Paris. And he designed all these gardens, and so he has these wonderful, wonderful canals and and follies uh, in the gardens and things. Uh, and I just uh, fell in love with it. It's in the department of Sartre. Uh, Sartre is in the what's called the region called of the of the, the the country of the Loire, um, and so it's uh, it's the northern part of the Sartre. It's actually interestingly enough. I, I think I don't even know. I think there are maybe a hundred departments in France. I should know this number. It's a department's like a state, um, right. and. Uh, uh, Interestingly enough, it's the third chateau I've had in the same department. So I obviously have a, have a, an affinity for this this department. Um, you know all the local landscapers. Yes, sure. exactly. So uh, it just, and it was really by chance. I was really open to it anywhere within two hours of Paris, and this was just happened to be in the same in the same region, around forty minutes from my other chateau. And when you're renovating uh, the chateau, obviously beyond the the traditional aspects of the structure itself when it comes to like the decor and everything, all of your decisions, um, where do you draw your inspiration from? Is it um, an evolution of what you had in the past in your last chateau or do you tailor it to each one? Like how does that, so, how uh, that work? Uh, the last chateau I sold totally furnished. I mean, down to the Hermes blanket, the silver, the, the silver in the drawer, the, the, you know, the, the crystal in the, in the cupboards. Uh, so I started totally from scratch. Um, and that was part of the fun of this, uh, was just starting from scratch. Uh, and, um, what I do is I basically just buy things that I like, um, not not even knowing, gee, this is going to go for this room or that room. I just sort of buy things, um, and uh, and then when it's all done, I sort of start figuring out, well, this will go there and this will go there. Um, it's not the way we work when we're dealing with clients, where we buy something very specifically for this specific room, or, uh, but uh, but I, I frankly I think um, because it's not. It's not my full-time job, you know. This version, I don't have the same um, time to be able to do it in 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 the same precise manner that I would if I were doing it for a client. So I'll do a basic furniture plan for a room, but it's very loose. And then when when I get in, when when I start to see, gee, I've got six couches. Which couch should go in this room? It's it's much more um, haphazard. Um, so it's um, it's one of those sort of things of uh, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, as a designer so like what what's been the biggest surprise now with or there are are there any surprises left for for a pro such as yourself uh yes there are always surprises um let me give you uh one there, with covid there have been a number of surprises but a couple of surprises one we had um the painters who um were during covid and we didn't have a lot of management on site uh they w- took it upon themselves to use um, uh, electric uh, sanders to sand the paint um, on uh, to sand off the paint on the mullions of the windows uh, and in doing so scratched 
um, over, I think it was 1,100 panes of 18th century glass. So they're totally all need to be replaced. Um, the cost to replace them all with uh, reproduction glass that looks like this sort of wonderful wavy 18th century glass was 450,000 euros. So <laughs> that was a... An, How uh, much was the hitman that you hired exactly. to murder the guy <laughs> exactly. that did that 1,100 times? Yes, that was, the, that was the issue. I mean, like you're like, really? You didn't think that that would be a problem. Um, Are you able to ensure that, like this process, this it, construction process? Like, is there any, like, how does that work? Well, I mean, in, in this case, just, in this oops. case, in this case, I was lucky because his insurance actually covered it. Uh, but I've g- give you other example. We hired someone to, uh, I was creating a 110 meter, um, sort of like the size of a football field, reflecting pond at the back of the chateau. And uh, he, he, the guy, we gave him the money to, to build this thing, he came out just at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of, pan- of the pandemic, dug this whole long reflecting pond, 110 meters long, and then uh, proceeded to go bankrupt. And uh, during COVID, and um, we were we were not only out the money that had been paid, but by French law, it's this is crazy thing that if I'd given the job to someone else to complete. He at any time could come back and say, "Oh, but I still have the contract for this job, so you need to pay me the remaining balance." So, it was, so I ended up having to fill that fill that reflecting pond back in and do something totally different there because I couldn't do anything else that was going to continue that until that unless that contract got nullified. So, again, there are all these little weird, quirky things of French laws that make it difficult. Um, the most recent surprise was. Um, you know, we very clearly talked with the the plumbers when we were putting in all these new bathrooms because they're now something. I think there were maybe four bathrooms in the chateau before, and now there are sixteen or something. Uh, was there needed to be plenty of uh, of hot water for people to take showers morning and night, and you know, uh, uh, for a house with with um, you know twenty five people staying in it. Uh, and uh, we recently tested couple we're at the stage where we're now people are beginning to stay overnight and uh there wasn't enough hot water and we contacted them and they sort of did the analysis and they said oh you actually only have a third of the number of water heaters that you actually should have for this and we're like you knew all this from the beginning you know so now we're actually having to refigure figure out how to put all these new water tanks in throughout the chateau when when this all should have been done Two years ago, uh, you know, before walls were f- closed up and and everything else, so oh, so wow, there, you know, yeah. there there are always surprises that are that are not so wonderful that come about. Yeah, and there's nothing well, you can do about it. You know, there's nothing you you can't sue them just because you they miscalculated. Like, are you are you creating reproductions of historical pieces, or do you believe in sort of like do you go out and collect antiques and vintage? And yeah, like, yeah. What is your? I, would you rather customize everything to the T? No, I, I, um, you can get some amazing reproduction furniture, but um, frankly, from a, um, from a from a value perspective, from a from a green perspective, there are so many uh, amazing antiques that you can buy for. Uh, you can buy uh, an 18th century china signed by a f- famous uh, furniture maker from the 18th century. You can buy an 18th century chair uh, at, at auction or at the flea market for no more than you'd buy a chair from Ikea or Ikea. So, um, uh, so I, I, I have tended to buy um, almost all period pieces. Um, and, and again, it's just because right now the value, the, the, 
the the vogue the the style for antiques is not as popular as it as it might have been 20 years ago uh but all design is is, is cyclical you know everything's sort of a pendulum uh and and we're beginning to actually to see the price of antiques beginning to go back up again which is which is i'm glad to see because it's such a shame to think of of you know these incredibly made pieces selling for for less than a price of furniture from pottery yeah i mean i remember listening to interior designers from France, you know, when mid-century was really hot um, and everyone was snatching them up. There were designers who had warehouses filled with what, you know, we would call brown furniture, right? You know, um, they were like, you can't give it away. Right, like, right. It's, you know, really amazing things that are just sort of being locked away, hoping for that next uh that next turn yeah. of and of and, the it, style. and what's interesting is that it actually is i recently uh was speaking in uh, atlanta and there was an antique dealer who came up to me and said believe it or not we're selling brown furniture to young people they're actually they're actually they're wanting it they don't they you know it hasn't been in their in their eyesight for us you know forever when they've ever been alive and all of a sudden they they're sort of see it as being new and fresh so again it's everything is cyclical and and i think uh we, we see that in design very much and do you think you'll uh, ever retire in this last one that you're going to do and kind of keep it forever? Is it your forever, forever I, chateau? This, I, this, I, I'm certainly hoping this will be my ever forever chateau. I think so. Um, all my friends sort of say, "Please let this be your forever chateau," because I, you know, I have friends come help me, and you know, and 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 they're like, "We don't want to have to pack this this stuff up," you know, again. Um, so, but I think it. I really think it is. It's it's, it's interesting because I feel that um, I've learned a lot along the way i've learned what i want and what i don't want um it's issue when i have friends who or people say to me they're looking at buying a chateau i tell them how important it is to look at many of them you know they sort of look at one and think oh this is it and i said you know, you've got to look at a lot of them because you will learn along the way what you what you like and don't like and i think that um as i've owned um these multiple chateaux i've actually learned more and more what i am looking for and and i think this one is pretty much has what i'm looking for before we return to Timothy, a word from our sponsor, Duravit. Founded in 1817 in Germany's Black Forest, Duravit is the international authority on design-driven bathrooms. The company collaborates with leading designers from around the globe to create spaces that enhance your quality of life. One of the brand's daring visionaries is none other than rock star designer and former guest of this very podcast, Philippe Stark. The outspoken Frenchman's latest for Duravit is the White Tulip Collection. Inspired by the elegant shape of the flower in full bloom, the line contains everything you need to create your own Stark-designed domestic oasis. From wash, basins, and tubs to furniture, the White Tulip Collection has various finishes, wood options, and a circular chrome handle as an eye-catching option that's oh-so-stark. And if this grand tourist had the space, he wouldn't hesitate to install his favorite element of the collection, the freestanding and perfectly round bathtub that can transform any bathroom into a nature-inspired spa. For more information on Duravit or to find a local distributor, visit www.duravit.us or call 888-D-U-R-A-V-I-T. To many, the appeal of owning a chateau isn't just about living in a big house, but in the act of restoring one to its former glory and making it their own. But what if you're not a world-renowned interior designer like Timothy Gorgon? My next guests are Anna and Philip of Le Fleur, a guest house outside the seaside town of Enfleur in Normandy. They're not architects, but merely an enterprising couple with two small children who decided to leave their life in Paris behind 
to open a bed and breakfast in a historic home. Anne is a Brit and the former head of embellishment at the Fashion House of Balmain. And Philip is a filmmaker. Together, they've been renovating their chateau almost entirely on their own, from upholstery and wallpapering to installing log burners, and documenting it all on their YouTube channel titled How to Renovate a Chateau. Contemporary feeling, and as relatable as something like this can be, Anna and Philip bear it all on their vlog, combining small and practical details with all of the mishaps a DIY project such as theirs can entail. I spoke with a couple from their beautiful B&B. So how long were you guys together before you became the proud owners of the Chateau? I think, how? oh my goodness, how many years is it? <laughs> I think it's about eight years, right? We'd been together for three years. Um, um, Philip proposed to me and we had bought our first apartment together in Paris, which was a 60 square meter apartment um, and a renovation project. And then after that, we had our first daughter, Lily, and we decided to move out into the suburbs of Paris. Um, we bought our second renovation project, which was a 1930s townhouse and completely renovated that and had our second daughter. And it was at that time that I was looking for a bit of a change in my career. Um, I, I love my job in fashion, but it was not really suiting um, a family kind of lifestyle. So we both kind of were questioning what we wanted to do. And Philip has always dreamed about buying a chateau since I, since I first met Philip. I mean, when we had our first apartment together, I remember him always kind of scouring the internet and looking out at all these kind of chateau, um, you know, agencies and, and always kind of dreaming if uh, uh, what we could achieve and what we could buy if we were to sell our Parisian apartment. Um, I always thought he was crazy and I was always kind of brushing it off saying, come on, don't be stupid. What are we going to do with a chateau? Um, but it was during my second maternity leave, I was due to go back to work and I was really wondering what I was going to do um, in the future. I was looking for a change and I think Philip too. And so he managed to sort of remind me and propose me this idea in, in a moment of maybe where I was, you know, a little weak or a bit of weakness. <laughs> Philip said, hey, why don't we, you know, sell our, our house, buy a chateau and start a, get a, a bed and breakfast business, like a guest house business. And, and at the time it seemed like, yeah, actually it was the perfect idea. And I don't know if it was the timing or what, but um, <laughs> he definitely asked at the right time or proposed it again at the right time. And it was almost an instant decision. It was almost like as soon as he'd said that, it sort of made sense for us. And it seemed like the perfect opportunity for us to start a new life somewhere in the countryside um, with our with our two young daughters. And and so from that point on, it was there was no turning back. And we literally... We, that was during our holiday. Um, and when we got home, like literally one week later, we went and we had our first viewing of a chateau. So there were, it was like a, a the decision was made and it was like we were sure that that was what we wanted, basically. And what year was that? That was 2018. Ah, OK. So, that, yeah, and we found our chateau very quickly. It was only the second chateau we visited. Um but it was a very long process to purchase the chateau. It took us eight months um, to to get the keys from from when we first viewed the chateau. And how? I mean, at at this point in time, how much? How many years has it been? And and how much longer do you have to go before you feel like you've done it? We started renovating in two thousand nineteen, and so far, in regard to the main building, we've done probably seventy percent. 
so I guess it's another full year if we are really on it to get the, the chateau completely finished, apart maybe from the from the attic, which is a space that we could renovate or not. But one more year of work and we would be we would be done with all the main rooms, all the electrics, all the plumbing. And Anna, can you take me a little bit through what you guys know about the history of the chateau and, and when it was built? So the chateau has um some sort of holes in the history that we're still trying to piece together and um and so we we when we um and when we bought the we when we purchased the chateau we uh were kindly given all of the documents which was a massive box full of um you know documents that date back from the 15th century um and at the moment we are actually in the process of trying to discover more about the history because there's quite a big part of it that we're not really sure about so we know that there would have been a fortified chateau um at least dating back to um the 15th or 16th century uh we have an engraving in our in our cave which is our basement um which is 1545 and the structure of the basement is very big stones which would have been from the fortified castle what we don't know is what happened and why that castle obviously was destroyed um we're very close in on fleur in normandy there was a huge hundred year war between england and france so whether it had something to do with that we're, we're still trying to discover um what we do know is more about the recent history so we know um about the fact that um it was a cider and calvados distillery for a hundred years before we bought it um, and that during the war, there was German soldiers um, stationed twice at the beginning of the Second World War and at the end. Um, so we we are really looking forward to actually, and I've just begun the process of trying to start the research to discover more about the history because there's obviously a lot to find out. And this box of documents that we've inherited with the Chateau could be the sort of link to helping us discover more of the history. So our idea is we photographed each individual document. I think there was over a thousand documents. And um, we're in the process of now uploading each document onto a forum, which we will then allow people to access, anybody can access. And hopefully historians who are able to read old French will be able to decipher and, and help us piece together more of the history of the chateau. So that's really exciting. Philip, you're the filmmaker in the family. Uh, at what point in the process did you decide to document the renovation process for YouTube? It wasn't a plan at the beginning. We started renovating and we had an, an English TV crew coming regularly about once a month to film us for an English TV show uh, and called uh, Escape to the Chateau DIY. And that was enough for us. That was nice because it gave us some exposure and we thought that would be perfect once we are able to open the guest house business then we are out there, people will know us. And so we never thought to do anything ourselves. And by that time in 2019, the, the Chateau renovation genre on YouTube didn't exist. So it was only, uh, there was this TV show. And then with this TV show, some Chateau owners started documenting what they do on YouTube as well in a more professional way. And when when COVID hit and when we had to shut down the, the we had to shut down the, the, the guest house business. So we needed, we, we needed to decide what to do. And we thought if we film ourselves, if we show people what we're doing, maybe after COVID people would come and, and become our guests. So at least we can do something 
for the time being instead of wasting you know our time and, and be unhappy but we never thought at youtube as something as a business itself it was really just a means of communicating what we're doing here for our guest house business and we started doing a couple of videos they were quite successful and from then it took off and only later we realized hey that there's some potential in it to to become a, a business model by itself like an activity as it's the guest house something that helps us to continue the restoration of the property because we can make some money out of the out of out of youtube and today it's yeah today it's equally important than than the guest house if not more important for us before we return to anna and philip a word from our sponsor ford street studio Fort Street Studios' sumptuous carpets are expertly hand-knotted and executed in nuanced color combinations that are the signature of the studio's painterly designs, which originate from watercolor art. With a catalog of over 150 original designs, the brand offers a broad range of options for interior designers to fit any project's needs. Each carpet is customizable in size, shape, and color, as large as 27 feet wide or over 40 feet long, for both area rug applications or wall-to-wall and the company's in-house art studio can scale motifs and repeats to maintain the spirit of each design to adapt to any furniture plan. To create your own bespoke masterpiece carpet, visit fortstreetstudio.com. And I'm just curious, I mean, you know, one of the reasons why chateaus are, are somewhat affordable is that um, they require a ton of work <laughs> and, and a ton of upkeep and even just to bring them up to snuff, not, not up to some kind of modern standard, even though you have to do a lot of renovations each year and, and, and maintenance and so on. What was the state of the Chateau as a building when you guys got the keys? Yeah, when we when we first saw the Chateau, we, we could see from the outside that there was some obvious uh, restoration work on the facade to do, for example, but we were very careful. We obviously had um, a, a survey done and we were able to check for um, wood rot, dry rot, which is one of the worst things that you could get if you if you bought a chateau, because obviously all of the interiors are you know panelled in wood, and um, so we had this uh, survey done, and we were sure that this this was in a good state. Um, we we checked the roof. Um, we knew that we would have to do quite a lot of work to connect um, to the main sewer and uh, water and electrics. So we knew we knew there would be quite a lot of work. Um, but with any Chateau project, and I think anybody who might have done undertaken some sort of restoration project could probably say um, is that there's always those unexpected um, things that you cannot foresee until you buy it and you start work. And for us, it was with the restoration of the facade. So we hugely underestimated the cost and the work that was needed. Um, when we began, uh, we, we always got three quotes because this was kind of our rule of thumb to make sure that we weren't getting ripped off. Um, and unfortunately, we got bad news because all three came back very high. And uh, in in one sense, um, you know, we just had to reapproach our budget to the restoration. And, um, and it wasn't a choice for us. We wanted to do the restoration, you know, well, and we wanted to help to, to um, you know, keep the chateau healthy and and stay you know um standing for another 200 years so for us we knew that it wasn't a question we had to do the facade work and we had to do it with professionals because it's obviously a very um you know it's it's a it's a job that needs to be done um with a lot of care and skill so 
we ended up spending four or five months um, with a team of about eight masons who were having to remove the concrete um, and and uh, replaster well using um, wood lime plaster. So there was a huge amount of work with the facade, and we're thankful that we did it. We we were able to afford to do three sides. Um, it did mean that we ended up having to you know rethink about doing other things that maybe we would have liked to do straight away. And we just realized it would it's a long term restoration and, and it will be done, you know, over time and, and over many years. And, and this is how we've had to approach it. So we do, you know, little by little when we can. But the main structural um, chateau is very safe now. And now that it's a sort of a, a B&B, can you tell me a little bit about I mean, are do you guys live in the chateau yourself? Is it how is it apportioned? And like, what is the season? What are the seasons like, you know, when you're in season and off season for the Chateau? We have our apartments in the attic space. So half of the attic of the Chateau is renovated. The other half is still empty. It's our apartment. We go downstairs. There's a floor with guest rooms. And in the ground floor, we have our kitchen. We have a couple of salons and bathrooms. We, for now, we are open um winter in normandy is not the best time for traveling even though it's interesting to, to visit places but it, it can get quite wet so we we decided we stay open only for the summer months for now and we use the winter months to to continue the renovation we should probably say that we we live up in the old servants quarters so we are definitely not um chatelaine <laughs> we're not living in the grand rooms um for us as a family it worked better for us to be up on the second floor um and and you know it's it's a very different feel we're under the roof so it's it's um you know mansard um windows and and uh it's more of a cozy feel upstairs um but we were able to then dedicate the whole first floor for our guests and then the ground floor is split so we have a salon and breakfast room for our guests and then the rest is for us as our private half so i think this works quite well for us in in a way we've able to separate the chateau into private and um you know and root and enough space for our guests as well and so if someone comes to stay for the weekend uh what's a perfect weekend like well the perfect weekend is probably sometime in may or september um this is when we have beautiful weather and it's not too busy there's not too many people um you know, coming in, in August is quite a busy time. And, uh, you know, we start our breakfast, we put on our classical music, and uh, we have homemade, a lot of homemade produce, um, cakes, granola, and our guests can just sort of sit and enjoy um, their breakfast in the really beautiful light filled breakfast room. It's a very relaxing, very calming atmosphere. Um, we're surrounded by a huge amount of trees and we're quite rural. So it's a very peaceful place. And um, and we hope that we transmit that to our guests. So when they come, it's very calming and peaceful. And and then we often give suggestions to our guests of where to go and visit locally because we are, we are really perfectly situated to visit on Fleur, which is a five-minute drive. Or we have um, the beautiful 19th century seaside town of Trueville and Deauville. And further, a little bit further along, we have Bayer and the D-Day landing beaches are just over an hour away. And then the other side, we have Etretat. So there's a huge amount of beautiful landscapes uh, and towns to visit. And I think it's, um, it's just a very 
you know, we're in a great location, but it's also a little bit away from, you know, busyness. So people are able to, sometimes they pop out in the morning and then they come back in the afternoon and we have deck chairs in our, in our garden so they can just sit and read a book and have a glass of local cider. So, um, and we've got great restaurants around in Enfleur that we have a, a good selection of really good, um, nice restaurants where you can have fresh seafood because obviously the port of Enfleur is, is also um, a fishing port. So we have great seafood. Um, and yeah, so it's, it depends what people want to do, but a lot of people, they just, they want to visit, you know, a bit of Normandy, but they also come here just to relax and sort of de-stress. And I mean, you have two girls now that they're a little bit older. What has it been like uh, raising kids in, in a place where you're, you're, you not only is it a B&B and you have people coming and going, but you also have to do, uh, you know, all of this work and, and uh, has that been a challenge or also I could see it as being kind of a joy as well? Yeah, I think it's, I think you're right. It's a bit of both. I mean, we feel very, very fortunate and lucky to be living in such a beautiful place and, and bringing our girls up in, 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 you know, the beautiful Normandy countryside. Um, and they are actually amazing and they have adapted really well. Uh, they are very happy. They love it here. They're also very friendly with guests and they love having people here. Um, obviously I, our oldest Lily, um, she's probably a bit more aware of, of, of all the work and everything that's gone into it. And occasionally she does ask me when renovation work will be finished. Um, but I think that they are interested w- with what we are doing. And, um, I can see that especially Lily, who's a bit older, she's, um, six. She loves anything that's kind of artistic. So when, she, whenever she sees us doing something or I have a project going on, she's very interested in what we're doing. And even with the filming, I, I think she's very interested with, with the vlog and what we're filming and that sort of thing. So I think that there's obviously some sacrifices that you have to make um, in term, when you have a guest house because you are sharing your family home with guests. And, uh, and so sometimes, you know, our weekends are not really week- weekends. Um, but we manage and we've got amazing supportive families. So whenever we have, you know, a very, a crisis point or, you know, we're really, really overrun with, with things, we can always call on Philip's mom or my parents and they come and give us a hand. So, so we're very lucky in that sense. And, and if someone were listening to this and thinking like, yes, like I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to do this, I'm going to buy a chateau and, uh, and go down this road, whether they want to have, you know, open a and b or not, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, I, as an advice for everybody who wanted to come up with a similar project would be to make sure you, you know what your business plan is and your strategy to, to finance the renovation and also the, the living costs. The second is what type of, what type of life you want. And depending on that, it depends where your property would be located because there's so many different parts of France and according to where you are, your, your life will be really different. And also, do you want to open it for guests? Is it just for your, for your pleasure? And just really question yourself, try to imagine and also write down how you imagine your life in the chateau and your work and your everyday life. Because you need to have some sort of idea how to how to run the chateau especially if it's your business uh to make the right choice to start right from the beginning 
when it comes to choosing the location, choosing the size of the property? For example, we knew that we wanted to do a guest house business, um, not a wedding business. So when we viewed this property, that's what we were imagining when we, we, we were thinking about how we could separate the spaces. Did it make sense um, where we would live, where the guests would be? And uh, and we knew that we have guests, we have um, neighbors that are not far away. And so this is not an ideal space for if you wanted to run a wedding business, for example. Um, there are a lot of amazing properties out there that are more rural, but this property that we have, um, it's not. And so it wouldn't be ideal for weddings. So we definitely had that in mind. And we also, um, we spoke with, uh, we were very lucky that we had some friends of friends who had done a similar project on a smaller scale. And we were able to ask them for, you know, their tips and advice and one of their main um, main things that they 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 advised us was basically to make sure that we had a private space that was us just for us. Um, so as we have young children, you know, it's really important that even when we have guests here, that we can be with our children and and you know that they're not bothering our guests, but you know that also we have our family space within the chateau. So I think it's it's like Philip said, you've got to sort of look at what sort of business you are thinking to do and. It's it's very hard to estimate um, the cost of, of renovating a chateau because every chateau will be very different. And there's always those, like I said before, there's always going to be those those kind of um, unfortunate, you know, things that come up that you hadn't expected. But I think if you can be as prepared as possible, speaking with people, trying to get advice. We were also in touch and we worked with a consultant who helped us set up the bed and breakfast uh, bed and breakfast business. Um, as neither of us had any sort of hospitality or, or tourism experience. So that was something that was integral to us setting up the business. We needed a little bit of advice about, you know, how that works. So so I think uh, that's that's probably what I would say. The whole process of, of renovating is, is extremely satisfying, but it's also very hard work physically and mentally because this is like a marathon renovation. It's it's not just going to be finished in one year. It's going to be some a project that if we would like to renovate all the outbuildings, it could take us ten years. Um, so I think there are points where you you know, especially for example, right now we don't really have a proper kitchen. Where after four months, it can be kind of wearing on you. But that's I think pretty normal with any of these kind of projects. But it's it's always worth it in the end. And and for me. The part I love the most is trying to make uh, the renovation really personal and and to learn new skills. So we have learned so much through this process, and we are definitely we definitely were not experts. Um, and you know, I was a I was a designer, I was a fashion designer before, so I have a creative side to me. Um, but I've I've pushed myself to learn new skills and try new things to make each room as personal as possible. And and for me, that's the part I love the most is is getting to put my you know my creative stamp on the chateau. And what would, when uh, when guests leave uh, and uh, after a couple of days, you know, what kind of what's the the sort of common thread of the feedback that you you get when they're when they say goodbye and drive away? I think people always. Um, yeah, I think they have a great time and and they enjoy to be here. And I think for a lot of people, it's it's a slightly surreal experience if they follow us on the vlog, um, because you know they've been following from afar and they feel very much part of the project and and following every step of of what we're doing. And they feel that they get to know us. So I can imagine for a lot of people, it's it's quite a um, 
a special time to come and and to see the chateau for yourself and and to stay in the rooms which they've seen us renovate so it's a very personal project and a lot of our guests that come feel you know it, it's a very they're very um friendly and very understanding of what we've done with this project it's not simply just a guest house it's the whole story behind it so that's what's really nice and uh what's next for you guys like what's the next big uh renovation uh phase to tackle we're in the process of well we have to finish the kitchen and for the chateau we have two more guest rooms to do and one salon but what we really want to push this winter is the renovation of two outbuildings because there's a certain urgency the the roofs are falling down it's long so-called long houses uh, dating back to the 17th century for one and a bit younger another one and we really want to save them and in order to save them we need to get them new roof sort the structural the wooden structure out and in again in order to do this we need to turn them into business make them make them jeet so we can rent them out after and we can finance the renovation of these buildings by uh, by this by doing this so we we're in the process of applying for planning and then we we can't wait to 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 come up with with the plans and and I'm looking forward as well to to find a new style because it's different buildings so it's going to be a different a different approach in interior design and in architecture than the chateau but again it's 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 very interesting because it's it's period buildings with a, much, a lot of history and and finding the right design approach is going to be a challenge and and exciting the other thing that we would like to work on or i would especially like to work on is is finding a space for my atelier um and i i i've kind of put my um i i'm hoping that i can convince philip to ha- let me transform part of the coach house um into my atelier so that's that's what i would like to be working on um quite soon um because i i would love to sort of try to develop um what i've been doing here in the chateau but you know as a as something more of a brand that we can that we can obviously commercialize and and that's kind of the next step is is trying to grow um out from just the guest house and the youtube but also to sort of develop our own brand and and identity here so um that's really exciting what kind of brand interior um interior uh, brands for for all sorts of um for for fabrics and and maybe later furnishing but um oh, okay. interior design Amazing. basically I can see. Uh, well, I mean, you've already done a lot of the upholstery and everything yourself, so you. Uh... Yeah, it's just trying to find. Um, we get asked a lot for people if, if if there's something you know people would like to get something, take something home from from their visit here, and and also Anna does so many creative things, and she 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 does the she did the wallpaper for all the rooms, and and she works with fabric, she does upholstery, and and there's a lot of potential in all these things to to develop it. Uh, beyond beyond the guest house business because the problem for guest house business is it's not really scalable once once you've done all the rooms you can you can lift the prices if you want to but that's not necessarily what we want but that's it and if you if you want to grow and if you if you want to continue and if you want to be sustainable on a long term you need to you need to find another idea and 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 we re- we we hope that this is going to be our next our next um big step is to yeah to launch a brand in the near future. Thank you to Timothy, Anna, and Philip for making this episode happen. For more information about Timothy Corrigan, visit timothy-corrigan.com. 
And to watch Anna and Philip's videos, you can find their channel, How to Renovate a Chateau, on YouTube, or visit their site for bookings at lefleur.fr. That's L-E-F-L-E-U-R dot F-R. The editor of The Grand Tourist is Stan Hall. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. A la prochaine. Thank you.